0: Welcome nerds. It's time to debrief you on the world of pop culture. Loading up Rockabilly track. Now preparing Mystical Nightblade. Preparing updates on movies, TV, wrestling and more. KNS 5.0 activates in 3, 2, 1. Welcome to the amazing nerd show. Hey, this is Christian. Hey, this is Damon. And this is The Amazing nurture. All right, on this week's show, we're going to be breaking down Episode 5 of Moon Knight, and we have a film review for the Northmen. Plus, we'll be talking this week's episode of AEW Dynamite.
1: Before we move on, just a quick reminder, we do have a giveaway going on right now. Uh, you have the opportunity to win a Blu-ray copy of Spider-Man No Way Home. Uh, All you have to do is DM us a screenshot of you subscribing to us over at Apple Podcasts and leaving a five-star review. You can DM us on all your favorite social media platforms at Amazing Nerd Show. The giveaway will run to May 14th when we'll announce a winner, which will be chosen randomly. We are also making sure that this is a podcast-only giveaway, meaning we're only rewarding actual listeners to the show and not plugging this at all on social media. Now, if in the past you've already subscribed and left a five-star review, no worries. Just leave another five-star review and DM us. Uh, It still helps the show out a lot, and you also deserve a chance to win. If for some reason you listen to us on another podcast platform, that's fine. We still love you. Don't worry. it's just advertisers look at Apple Podcasts more, so that's where we push it. I know that's a little inside baseball, but don't fret. We will have a giveaway more aimed towards you guys
0: in the near future. So again, to win the Spider-Man No Way Home Blu-ray, leave us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts, and then make sure to DM us a screenshot of it over on social media. That's at Amazing Nerd Show on your favorite social media platform. Let's get into the news. Every week, we collect the biggest
1: headlines and rumors in Nerdum. We're not mild-mannered reporters. We're mere podcasters with
0: opinions. All right, this week, we've got tons of film news coming out of CinemaCon. So this year at CinemaCon, DC showed off footage from a bunch of their big films coming out in the next few years, like Aquaman 2, Shazam 2, and The Flash, along with a couple of big announcements as well. One of those announcements being that the Batman is greenlit for a sequel. Matt Reeves is returning to direct the Robert Pattinson-led Batman, and that shouldn't be a surprise after its successful $750 million worldwide box office. But honestly, the future for DC is still kind of unclear, so you never know what kind of direction Warner Brothers Discovery may want to go in in general. All I know is that I do want more of this Batman. Yeah, I finally got to see it. I thought it was amazing, so I was super
1: stoked to hear the news. Regardless of what direction Warner Brothers Discovery wants to go in when it comes to the DC Universe. I mean, they like money, so I mean, uh-huh. why not do a
0: <laughs> sequel?
1: I'm just excited to see what direction Matt Reeves takes his version of the Caped Crusader. Uh, what villain would you like to see next, Christian? I mean, I know there's a lot of rumors and we got that like deleted scene of the Joker. Um, I personally don't want to see them go that direction though. I- I'd mm-hmm. rather hold off for a movie or two. Um, just because I feel like we've seen the Joker over and over again in the franchise. But if by some miracle they do end up restraining themselves, who do you want to see for Batman's rogue gallery in the next film?
0: Uh, based off where it was left off, I, I, I could totally see them probably going with Joker and uh, and maybe even returning the Riddler but I would rather see them maybe tackle another street level villain I could see them doing a storyline with Hush a lot I feel like Matt Reeves would do a fantastic job with that storyline but other than that I could totally see Two-Face as well I feel like another a little bit simpler villain to go up against would be more in the style of this Batman though I do want to see like Mr. Freeze that's like my ultimate like I want to see a Mr. Freeze film is my goal for all batmans at this point arnold wasn't good enough <laughs> no i agree 100 they're
1: probably gonna go joker right uh but also like you i would love to see mr freeze you know mm-hmm. especially you know from reeves um just kind of like what his take would be um if i was to fantasy cast it i would definitely put brian cranston in that. oh role. yeah i think he would just be amazing yeah, I mean, he's definitely got the emotional depth as an actor, yes. you know, to bring that role to life. Um, I wouldn't be surprised also if they don't do something with, like, the Court of Owls. Uh, Hush is also a good avenue for them to go down, you know, mm-hmm. especially since they're kind of really diving into, you know, the Wayne's backstory and everything. So, I mean, that all could come into play.
0: I would like them to build up to the Court of Owls, if anything, like that be the end of the trilogy. If, if they were making three of these? See, in my mind, you build up to the Joker.
1: You know, and that you kind of have him acting as, like, the anti-Nick Fury in Arkham Asylum. Uh-huh. You know, like, you know, putting together this, like, super group of villains to go up against, like, Batman. You know, so that, like, third movie, it's just gangbusters crazy. You know, they, like, break out of the asylum and, you know, basically take over um, Gotham
0: no that makes sense also with the way that this batman is I, I know you didn't read the tom king run but i could totally picture them doing the i am suicide with bane where mm. it's kind of the two of them you know dealing with who they are as characters It it's definitely it feels like this version of batman
1: when i saw that film oh i, I mean the fact that we see him basically take some kind of like Venom-like formula to Uh juice up before, you know, he takes on, you know, the Riddler's uh, cult at the end. I mean, you're gonna see a version of Bane if Reeves has his way, because there's no way that was just some kind of
0: random Easter egg that he decided to throw in there. Another moment for DC at CinemaCon was the potential for more DC crossovers as Shazam! Fury of the Gods showed some new footage that featured kind of a gag for Wonder Woman where Billy Bastin is fantasizing about Gal Gadot's Wonder Woman, but it doesn't actually turn out to be her. And while the scene is definitely more for laughs, it isn't to say that Diana couldn't show up in this film at some point in other ways, similar to like the cameos we saw in Peacemaker you <laughs> We also learned this week that Shazam moved its release date five days over because of the Avatar sequel coming out that same month. So now Shazam will be out December 21st. Yeah, and uh, throughout DC's presentation,
1: they showed tons of footage of upcoming films. And unfortunately, usually at at CinemaCon, just because they show the footage doesn't mean that we're going to see the footage anytime Mm -hmm. soon. So we're not going to really dive into, you know, what was shown. I mean, there's tons of reports out there, but like if we haven't seen the footage ourselves, it's hard to react to it really uh the one story that did come out that was interesting was that you know general Zod is going to be in the flash film and he's going to be played once again by the great michael shannon uh which makes you question whether or not we'll get an appearance by superman in the film also i mean there's been a lot of speculation on what exactly warner brothers was going to be doing with the flash film with all the controversy surrounding ezra miller but the fact that they
0: showed so much footage, you know, at this convention tells me that they're going full steam ahead. CinemaCon goers also got a glimpse at Michael Keaton's Batman during the Flash footage, and apparently they de-aged Keaton, which, you know, makes me wonder if they plan on keeping him de-aged for all these other projects. You know, like, is this version supposed to be, like, plucked out right from the last time we saw him? Because I was always thinking that, you know, we were gonna be getting an old man Batman, but if the CGI is good, I won't complain. We've seen, you know, Marvel do this a ton over the last few years with de-aging people so there is a lot of proven success it's just sometimes de-aging and a lot of action can be a bit wonky yeah i mean given the nature
1: of the film with the flash traveling through the multiverse i wouldn't be surprised if we get like multiple versions of michael keaton like if we see him as like a you know a younger batman and then see an older version of the character we do know that he's supposed to be popping up in the supergirl series that's supposed to be spinning out of the flash film uh, and in that, he was described as like a mentor figure for her. So for me, right away, that screamed almost like a Batman Beyond situation where we'll see a much older, you know, Bruce Wayne, who's maybe retired out of the game, you know, and just kind of taking an- another younger hero underneath his wing. Uh, but I mean, who knows? Maybe he's, you know, rocking the cow and fighting crime in Gotham still. Hell, for that matter, he's supposed to be in the Batgirl film that's uh, coming out on HBO Max. Uh, Although there is a rumor out there right now that that might be heading directly to theaters. Uh, Although, since we didn't have an announcement at CinemaCon, I would expect that not to be true. Because you think at this point, since that movie was slated to be coming out in 2022, Mm
0: -hmm. that they would have
1: made the announcement here. Uh, but who knows Uh, that's all due to just a change of philosophy with the whole Warner Brothers Discovery merger it looks like streaming isn't going to be as high of a
0: priority as it was underneath the old administration it's a little odd since you know both companies were working on their own streaming services you would think that they would still have that as a it's a priority, but yeah, whatever. I guess it just feels like they're
1: like leaving so much money on the table, and maybe they like dived into the analytics and like how the films are performing once they premiere on you know solely on the streaming service, or when you have that joint you know premiere. I mm-hmm. forgot what they were calling it because Suicide Squad did the same thing, and it ended up not doing as well. Where you had like the premiere on HBO Max and in theaters, but then it ended up hurting them at the box office gotcha. so it it just feels like you're leaving money on the table if they do end up going that route and you know having batgirl premiere in the theaters i wouldn't be surprised if it was you know following the same kind of recipe that we just got from you know the batman where it premiered in the theaters and then like i think it was like what two months or a month later that it uh, debuted on hbo max yeah it was about two months okay yeah so i could see something like that happening although since like i said before like we haven't had an announcement yet so maybe that's not the case at all although we were both speculating a while back when they kind of reshuffled their whole like film slate and mm-hmm. pushed a bunch of movies back to you know 2023 you know that background would probably be up next to get you know delayed and since it's already may and we haven't heard any news of a release
0: date for the film I feel like that's probably going to be the case. Sony, while at CinemaCon, made a couple announcements regarding their future Spider-adjacent projects, with Venom 3 officially being announced. Yay. And after showing 15 minutes of Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse, they announced a new title for the supposed second part of that film, now being called Spider-Man Beyond the Spider-Verse. My god, how is the same studio?
1: responsible for the masterpiece that is Into the Spider-Verse, also to blame for the horror show of Venom. Um, It's just crazy to think. It's just like two films are on the opposite side of the spectrum for me. Uh, You know, it'll be interesting to see what they do with the Venom storyline, I guess. Like, is there going to be anything to spin out of Venom visiting, you know, the, the MCU? uh are we going to you know have his universe's version of spider-man pop up uh i don't know and i don't even know if i care (laughs) (laughs)
0: uh
1: you know i guess the only way that i'll be interested in that film is if it is like you know like andrew garfield spider-man you know like we find out that that's you know his universe's version of spider-man uh I think that's the only thing that's gonna pique my interest in those films at this point.
0: I guess didn't Andrew Garfield just say he's taking a break from acting? I don't like
1: <laughs> And maybe his agent was trying to get him to be in Venom Three and that's why he was like, No I'm out, see you later. Yeah,
0: Makes sense. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, I don't know whatever they put out I'm not going to be interested. I mean they they burned me twice. I a third time is You're not going to take a show. Uh,
1: you're not going to take a bullet for the team this time and you know Oh I see, will. See but the third I'll,
0: one again. I'm going to get the fucking like cheapest ticket I possibly can. I'm not going to care. I just kind of figured after Morbius you we were like, "Nope, Damon, I'm not doing
1: this anymore." Oh my for god. <laughs> for the show. <laughs> I guess I'll I'll be responsible for reviewing the next shitty film that comes out.
0: Sure, you will. <laughs> <laughs> On top of that, Sony has a new live action film in the works featuring El Murto, which will star rapper and professional wrestler Bad Bunny in the role. That film is being slated for January 12th, 2024, and I know nothing about this character.
1: Well, I guess I should mark my calendar. It looks like I'll be seeing El Murto. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> speaking of which. So, surprisingly, I actually know who this character is. I was reading the friendly. Uh, Uh, Neighborhood Spider-Man run, and I actually currently have this book, his first appearance, up on eBay. (laughs) Are are you selling it on the podcast, David? no, no, no. I I didn't give out my username or anything. (laughs) But as a friendly tip to other collectors out there who do sell on eBay, once they make an announcement like this, that book isn't going to get any hotter. So definitely, you know, list it as quickly as possible. So I, I think I saw it sell for almost 200 bucks the other day. And that's solely based off the initial press release. So, I mean, that tells you how the you know comic book back issue market works. Because uh, I don't foresee this being a massive hit. I know like Bad Bunny is huge, but I mean, we've seen what we've gotten out of Sony when it comes to these like Spider-Man spinoff films. Uh, but who knows? Now, I do feel like there's potential for a good film here. But unfortunately, Sony's involved. Yeah, um, <laughs> because the character pretty much an open slate. The whole origin story of the character is really steeped in like lucha libre like lore. Um, the mantle of you know the hero has been passed down from generation to generation uh, within his family. When it becomes the character's time to take over the mantle from his father. Uh, he basically has a moment of, like, cowardice and freaks out and tries to run away. So then the mystical luchador tells uh, the character who ends up being El Murto that he has ten years to prepare and prove himself worthy of the mantle. So then we flash forward ten years with El Murto trying to uh, unmask Spider-Man and basically a mask-versus-mask match in the middle of a wrestling ring. Once he fails, though the mystical luchador shows up to basically you know take his life and, and then spider-man intervenes and helps el murto to defeat you know the luchador and then that's it that's the last we hear of this character <laughs> <laughs> until this press conference so like he was only in two issues so my guess was that sony's executives. We're like, we got to get this Bad Bunny, this global superstar in one of our films, you know, as one of our heroes. And then they, like, just took a deep dive in the comics and just found any character that felt like would fit, you know, Bad Bunny. And it just happened to be Elmerto. So, and I I apologize if I'm saying his name wrong. (laughs) But I will say the story does intrigue me. I mean, it mixes two of my favorite things, wrestling and comic books, right? So I do you feel like there's potential there? I do think there's something cool about introducing that culture to the mainstream, if done right. Um, but that's a big if, right? Because <laughs> it's Sony. We do know that Bad Bunny is a passionate wrestling fan, too. So, I mean, I feel like he'll give his all to the project. But I'm also kind of disappointed that this didn't happen, like, ten years earlier. We could have had, like, Rey
0: Mysterio in the role. Oh, That could have been cool. Right? But I mean, if there's no bone saw in this movie, is there really any, you know, worth seeing? <laughs>
1: well, that's, you know, that was kind of the headlines coming out at first. Like, you know, a wrestling Spider-Man spinoff. I was like, they're doing a bone saw film? <laughs> without Macho. Is that uh-huh. even possible? That feels like sacrilege. You don't really have to worry about, like, deviating too much from his origin story um, and doing your own thing and upsetting fans. Like, that, I guess that's the one positive I could pull out of this. I'm sure another aspect that made this like character tantalizing to Sony is the fact that he has so little like, you know, backstory and history that, you know, he's pretty much a clean slate and, you know, they can add their own wrinkles to the character and no one's gonna get upset.
0: Yeah, but I don't think anyone was gonna get upset if they changed anything about Morbius and that film still I would have been awful. upset, <laughs> but I didn't
1: see the film, so exactly. you know, I guess you're right. <laughs> Before we move on from Sony, uh, another announcement that they made is we're also going to be getting a sequel to Ghostbusters Afterlife, which is unsurprising with how successful the film was. Uh, but I mean, it's never a bad thing to have more
0: Ghostbusters in our life, right? Absolutely. And, you know, outside of that 20 minutes that they dropped of Doctor Strange, there really wasn't much to talk about with uh, Marvel. I know Kevin Feige, you know, stated that they're now going to be sitting down and planning out the next 10 years of Marvel films. But, you know, it's a big moneymaker. They They were always going to do that.
1: (laughs) I guess they always do like some big conference with all the different creators and they Mm. kind of like map everything out. So I know they they did that with the last phase. Um, But, yeah, that's not really any you know, breaking news. Disney did, like, release their slate uh, for the next couple years of films, but, like, as far as, like, Marvel went, like, nothing seemed to change date-wise. No. Which is, which is good news. Uh, but, like, all their movies were previously announced, so. So there really isn't much coming from the Marvel fronts,
0: is what we're basically trying to say. Breaking MCU news update. Actually, it looks like there has been a quick update to the MCU schedule, as it just came out that Ant-Man the Ross, Quantumania, and the Marvels are switching release dates. The Marvels now being set for a July 28th, 2023 release, along with Ant-Man being switched to February 17th. It's been a perfect flop between the two of them. It comes from a report from Variety that this was all done in order to give the Marvels a little bit more time on production, as Ant-Man seems to be further along than it. Either way, you'll see beginning the same amount of marvel action next year we also got an update on the future of fantastic four as spider-man director john watts is no longer going to be on the project it seems john watts wants to take a break from superhero films as he has spent the last seven years working on spider-man and no one can blame him for that kevin feige in a statement though has hoped to once again work with the director on future projects Now back to the show. But we did get something horror-wise, as The Nun 2 is in development, with Michael Chavez set to direct. After having done The Conjuring, The Devil Made Me Do It, and La Llorona, along with Chavez, Akella Cooper from Malignant is actually set to write the film as well.
1: Well, if you listen to the show, you know that I wasn't a huge fan of the third Conjuring film. So Mm -hmm. this news doesn't necessarily excite me. I was, however, a fan of Malignant. So maybe Cooper could bring some of, you know, that magic to The Nun's, you know, franchise. Uh, The the first Nun film was okay-ish. Like, I enjoyed it. I've actually watched it on TV, you know, since its theatrical release. Uh, It's a fun, like, Sunday afternoon, like, horror film watch on a rainy day. Speaking of horror, at the convention, I guess they did show quite a bit of Halloween Ends footage. And it did have a lot of people raving Uh, But I felt like we heard the same story when they premiered footage from Halloween Kills. And we know how that turned out. So (laughs) I'm not getting my hopes too high this time. Uh, But I wouldn't be surprised if we don't get a trailer for that film soon since it does come out in October. And that's only, like, what, like four or five months away?
0: Exactly. I mean, at this point, all I want from that film is everyone else's house to burn down but Michael's.
1: (laughs) Just all (laughs) Haddonfield? Decimated? I just want this film to be over with so we can move on Uh with the franchise, honestly. But who knows, maybe they can pull up the nose and, you know, stick the landing. Here's to hoping. But lastly, moving on from CinemaCon news, it appears that Star Wars Tales of the Jedi will be the next major animated series for the franchise.
0: Outside of CinemaCon, Star Wars Celebration announced its panels, and it looks like there may be another new animated series on its way. With Filoni set to be on the panel, many have speculated that it could be another animated series led by him, but no details on what time period this series will be in just yet. My guess, especially with all the recent focus on the new High Republic series that have been announced lately, I would figure that they would probably make this another High Republic show, but you never know, they could always go Old Republic, it's the tales of the jedi so that really could fit in at any time period really so since the story broke th- the site has like scrubbed the listing from the schedule
1: so this might be a case of like an intern fucking up and then wanting to keep this as a surprise uh but only time will tell uh now there was a dark horse comic book underneath the same name uh, in the 90s, that was all about the expanded universe, and it was like an anthology series where it kind of jumped around story wise following different like Jedi. So, I-, I think that concept would be cool to see, um, and that would lend you to believe that they could like really explore different eras of Star Wars, uh, especially since it would allow you to get to know like the lesser known Jedi and really dive into their stories. I mean, how cool would it be to see like a young, aggressive Mace Windu like just. chopping down motherfuckers who get in his way
0: it would be extremely fun i mean it like they haven't really shown how far into like you know the supposed dark side abilities he's able to you know achieve is so i'd be interested in exploring that right i mean and this show really gives you that opportunity that is if it is like an actual thing. I mean, he's going to come back for like the Mandalorian at some point anyway, right? (laughs) He's out there really like campaigning for it. So, I mean, I
1: wouldn't be surprised if we get some kind of cameo, even if it's like a flashback. All right, Christian, it's that time again. Let's go ahead and dive into episode five of
0: moon Knight. Warning, spoiler alert, major spoilers for moon Knight ahead. You have been warned.
1: Do you swear to protect the travelers of the night? And bring my vengeance to those who would do them harm.
0: Yeah. Look. Scales. Have we done it? Have we balanced them?
1: Then rise. Rise and live again. As my fist
0: of vengeance.
1: As my moon i
0: This week's episode starts with a boy's scream and a woman stating this is all your fault before we immediately are right back where we left off in episode four with Mark and Steven screaming at Towerette. However, this moment is also interrupted as Mark again finds himself with Dr. Harrow as Harrow tries to you know, kind of help Mark make sense of what's happening and making it seem like it's simply his mind playing tricks on him. But Harrow's overall explanation on the mind-building safe places kind of backfires a bit when Mark realizes he could also could be imagined hero and this psych ward as well and immediately gets drugged by nurses as he panics and tries to kill himself yeah this whole episode was just a mind bending roller coaster ride I didn't know if we were coming or going, and I loved it. Returning to the hippo goddess, Mark and Steven are still screaming at her. Once calmed down, Toweret explains that not only are they dead, but they are in a realm called the Duat, an endless desert filled with the unbalanced souls of the Egyptian underworld. Tourette then further explains that the you know asylum that they're seeing is a construct created by Mark's mind, as the true nature of the Duat is impossible for the human mind to grasp. I know I've said this before, but I just love the scope. Of the show, I had no idea that we were going
1: to be, like, diving this deep into, like, ancient Egypt mythology. I mean, it's just an extra layer that's added so much to this story. My daughter is huge into, like, ancient Egypt right now, but unfortunately she's only seven, but I'm totally, like, jonesing to show her the show in, like, maybe, like, I don't know, five years.
0: Okay. What, what do you think, Christian? <laughs> uh, five to ten, yeah. right? I know.
1: My argument will be that she's already seen Anakin cut off Count Dooku's head, so I feel like everything's just, you know, open game at that point. Yeah, but we're not talking about your mom's irresponsible parenting, so. <laughs> I mean, listen, I'm not judging. I I would sneak over to my friend's house who had an older brother, and that's where I'd watch all my horror films, so. Um I saw Hellraiser when I, I was probably my daughter's age, but I kn- right. I know personally how much that messed <laughs> uh-huh. me up. So. <laughs> <laughs>
0: Mark struggles trying to defer between what he's been told by Taurat and Dr. Harrow to this point, beginning to believe that he might truly just be insane. But as he tries to go through another door, he is met with further proof of actually being in Duat when he sees the giant sea of sand and the ship that he's traveling on to get across I it. thought this looked great. I mean, they
1: definitely spent some money here.
0: I mean, with a limited series, I guess you, you have more room to play with the budget like that, and you can do way more crazy CGI, so... I, I I don't know. I mean, after that jackal,
1: though, I was a little worried, honestly, because that, that that CGI just felt like it was not up to snuff, honestly. So, I mean, I was pleasantly surprised by this scene. Let's just say.
0: No, I, I can see that that jackal was kind of like on par with the like monsters from the sca- Scooby Doo movie, the live action <laughs> one. So,
1: <laughs> yeah, it definitely felt very early two thousands. Yeah. You know, like like the Van Helsing film, right? Ah, yes.
0: Classic. It's classic. (laughs) Classic awful CGI. (laughs) Not believing the situation he's in more, Mark hears out Towerette, and she tells them of a ritual that will allow them into the Field of Reeds, an eternal paradise. As she does so, she actually goes ahead and plucks out their hearts, placing them on a scale to be balanced with the Feather of Truth. If balanced, the two of them would be allowed then into paradise. But if your heart does not balance with the feather, you will be frozen in the sands of Duat forever, ultimately destroying your soul. Man, this hippo was so pleasant. Like, you couldn't ask for a better host <laughs> to the afterlife, right? Uh, she- she's a little awkward too you know it hasn't done in a while i Uh, guess so i no i enjoyed her i who do we know who uh was doing the voice oh probably look it up she sounded familiar yeah just looking at her imdb i i don't see anything it was a antonia salib
1: does not ring a bell i mean (laughs) but hell of a debut for her
0: she can host my afterlife party anytime all right good to know Just as Harrow discovered when attempting his own scale balancing on Mark and Steven, the scale does not begin to even out at all, which bewilders Taurat as she starts to understand that these hearts are incomplete. This is when Towerette tasks them on going through their memories in order to find balance. Otherwise, the two of them will be lost to the sands forever. Yeah, this is definitely kind of an ambiguous
1: task, right? Like, mm-hmm. And she understands that they're two. Different personalities just in the same body? She kind of, like they explain it as in we're kind of twins to her. Right? Yeah, I was going to say, but I thought she, I don't know. I don't know. (laughs) I was kind of assuming the reason why the scale wasn't balancing is because we haven't been introduced to the Jake Lockley character yet or whoever the third, you know, personality
0: is. And you're not alone there. A lot of people, including I, thought the exact same thing. I was like, oh, as soon as she said, hey, you guys got to go back in and, like, you know, uncover what balances you i was like oh okay this is a journey now to uncovering um jake yeah and it definitely seems
1: like either personality mark or uh steven know about jake and if it is jake so i was really surprised after last episode where they gave us so many like strong clues that we would be seeing the third like personality soon that we didn't get it in this episode so i was surprised after last episode where we got so many like clues pointing towards, you know, that Jake persona that we didn't see it appear at all in this episode. At one point in this episode, I did think we were about to get a glimpse, but that turned out not to be the case, but we'll talk
0: about that later. Back within the asylum, Mark and Steven start to look through these windows to each room, seeing memories of their individual past. First moments that we have seen on the actual show, and then moments that Steven realizes that he wasn't actually there to see. But then after a scream can be heard further down the hall, the pair enter a cafeteria filled with bodies of those Mark had killed during his time as Konsu's avatar. Steven is surprised by Mark being able to remember all of his victims, but it's clear that all these kills actually weigh on Mark's heart. How fucked up was this scene? <laughs> I mean, truly haunting to be surrounded
1: by all the dead that you're responsible for. And I was assuming at first it was all Mark's kills as a mercenary, but but then to find out that it's the death toll caused by Moon Knight in the name of vengeance, I mean, pretty messed up. And Khonshu's vengeance doesn't discriminate. I mean, there was women and young people and old people. There was a dude in a wheelchair even. Yeah, I mean, this was an incredibly chilling scene, but it really goes a long way to define the difference between Moon Knight and the other Marvel heroes. Because Moon Knight's definitely not scared to get blood on his hands. He's not Spider-Man. He's not Captain America. Like, if he has to kill a motherfucker, he's going to kill him.
0: Steven then notices a child on the other side of the room and is terrified by the idea of Mark having killed a kid. But this kid doesn't seem to look like any of the corpses sitting around in the room. And on top of that, Mark seems to be kind of hiding something about what he actually knows of this child. So Steven immediately chases after it while locking Mark out once going through one of the doors to a memory.
1: Yeah, my heart dropped totally when I saw the kid. I was like, oh no, where is this going? How far is Kanshu's
0: vengeance? Yeah, right. Behind this door, Stephen learns of Mark's brother and the tragic incident that happened when Mark guided his little brother Randall to a cave so they could play as characters from that strange B-movie Tomb Busters that we had saw in the last episode. Stephen, when seeing the rain kind of build up on the cave floor, attempts to save the memory form of himself and his little brother. But it's all too late as Randall drowns inside the cave. This whole flashback sequence and the reveal of...
1: Why marks the way he is was just absolutely heartbreaking. Um, come Emmy season, if Oscar Isaac isn't nominated, I mean, the whole show's a scam. Because I mean, he's just—I mean, he's, he <laughs> proves in this episode why he was the perfect casting for this role. No, he gets Lead
0: Actor, so Best Supporting Actor, right? <laughs> it, it's, it's He the could whole be nominated shebang. in both
1: categories. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> and he should be, honestly. I mean, the range of performance that he's putting on here, I mean, it's just a masterclass, really. So, uh, quick side note on Mark's brother, Randall, uh, he does exist in the comics, but he's a completely different character, so we're not going to, like, take a deep dive on him. Uh, but, I mean, long story short... Uh, He's a mercenary along with Mark. I believe he betrays him... And then he turns into the serial killer who stalks nurses. Uh, I mean, some crazy shit, man. But eventually, Mark and uh, the Punisher end up killing him. Uh, he does get resurrected and pops up during the Shadowland event uh, as a, a Shadow Knight. He's part of the cult of Khonshu. Uh He's jealous of Mark's powers. He somehow gets his own powers, I believe, through AIM. Uh, but yeah, Mark ends up having to kill him all over again. So, I mean, needless to say, it, it's a very different version of the character than what we're getting here i mean his whole story is extremely weird and convoluted so
0: i prefer what the mcu is doing fair enough there's always a multiverse they can introduce any version of the character if they want to <laughs> dear god i hope not. <laughs> Meanwhile, Mark searches for another way in to stop Stephen from seeing all these traumatic memories of his, only to then walk in on his brother Shiva, seeing Stephen witness his mother's grief and rage as Mark's mother Wendy goes on to blame the younger Mark, as we again see the woman yell, this is your fault, to the child. Steven chases the young Mark up the stairs, staying out of adult Mark's grasp as Steven watches more of the memory play out, seeing the abuse from his mother continuing throughout the years. Man, this was extremely hard to watch.
1: Um, The fact that he's living with the guilt of, you know, his brother's death, but then to have his mother you know, in his face every day also blame him. I can't imagine you know, the level of trauma that this would, you know, cause a young boy.
0: You no, know, exactly. It was hard to watch, you know, to see that it was happening every single year and continuing on past the death, you know, never getting any type of help. Yeah, honestly I was starting to get upset
1: with Mark's dad. I was like, why are you allowing this abuse to like continue on? Um, you know, take the kid out of this situation, like, you know, pack your bags and leave.
0: Exactly. Before Steven can reach the final floor and enter the young Mark's room, older Mark tackles Steven and enters a whole other memory. Steven can't seem to understand why Mark remembers their mother acting in such a way. Meanwhile, the memory playing out behind them is when Mark actually left home while their father tries to calm him down. This again leads adult Mark to tackle Steven through to another memory, and this time we're transported to the day Bushman took out Mark and Layla's father. Mark explains he refused to listen to Bushman's orders and tried to stop him from killing all the archaeologists.
1: Yeah, this is the first mention of Bushman that we have in the series. In a recent interview, Isaac did talk glowingly about the Bushman storyline, so I mean, perhaps that's something they'll dive into in the future. If we If we do get more Moon Knight.
0: Yeah, that just seems like the natural way to continue his story is to go into that. You know, fight. I mean, they're
1: tackling so much of Moon Knight's backstory here, I don't blame them for wanting to save a little something for later.
0: While we don't see the actual moment, we do see how Mark survived the assault. Inside the tomb that they were there to raid, Mark had crawled to just under the statue of Khonshu, and honestly seemed ready to kill himself because of the events that had just transpired. Khonshu interferes though, claiming he is looking for a warrior, someone to protect the people of the night, and strike down those who would harm them. It's clear that Kanshu is aware of Mark's broken mind from the get-go and sees this as an opportunity to manipulate someone into being his perfect new avatar. Mark either way takes the bait and accepts becoming the Moon Knight.
1: I'm glad they had this moment in the series just to make it clear to the audience that Kanshu is definitely manipulating Mark and knows exactly what he was doing when he chose him as his avatar. And that relationship dynamic exists throughout their history.
0: I mean, I did find it interesting that even now Mark seems to be defending, you know, the choice he made to become Moon Knight. Even as Steven, like, you know, is like, hey, he's clearly using
1: you. And I'm wondering if part of that has to do with Mark feeling that he does deserve to be punished for all
0: the sins in his past. Steven then hears sounds coming from outside their memories and runs out with Mark to investigate. What they find is souls being sent to the Duat as Arthur Harrow's plans seem to have been set in motion back on Earth. Steven and Mark convince Tauret to help them get back to their body and have Layla find a way to free Khonshu so that they can use the powers of Moon Knight to not only stop Harrow, but also heal their body. But Tauret explains the only way that they're going to actually be able to leave is if they can get their scales to balance. Man, this was a lot of souls that Harrow was claiming in the name of Ahmet, right? Yeah.
1: (laughs) I have a feeling, like knowing the episode count, knowing that next episode is the finale, that mm-hmm. when moon knight does make it back to the mortal plane that he's going to be jumping right into the middle of a battle because he's obviously in the middle of enacting his plan so and, and we know we only have one episode left
0: right <laughs> exactly i just
1: hope that they're able to pull off a satisfying conclusion with you know
0: what like 50 minutes left to tell the story. But we'll, we'll talk about that. Later. Back inside the asylum, Steven realizes the only way they will be able to balance the scale is if they revisit the room Mark so desperately stopped Steven from accessing earlier on. But this causes Mark to have a panic attack as he can't handle going back to that memory. And Steven laments all the deaths caused by Harrow will be Mark's fault if they do not do this, which causes Mark to completely lose it. Again, Mark comes to inside Dr. Harrow's office, Harrow tries to again explain what's been going on here stating that these moments he's been having reliving his past really have just been him telling Harrow inside of his office. Harrow then asks the interesting question of who created who when it comes to Mark and Steven. On one hand could Mark have created Steven to hide from his pain or did Steven create Mark to punish the world for all the harm that his mother had caused. Hero claims the only way progress can actually be made is if Mark is able to open up to Steven. Wait, is this the moment when he wakes up and he like
1: grabs the weird paperweight and he looks like he's about to impale Harrow with it?
0: No, I think that was earlier on when he was, you know, immediately didn't believe the situation he was in. Oh, uh, Okay,
1: because that was, that's the moment where I felt like we might have gotten a glimpse of, you know, Jake Lockley. Because it, it felt like there was something different about the performance, like, I don't know if it was something with the accent or, you know, just the way he
0: reacted to seeing um, Harrow. I don't know if you got that at all. I, I still felt like it was Mark, but it, it didn't, we didn't see him fighting afterwards. So how did he get injured and stuff with the guards uh, is what I'm wondering by this scene. Yeah, I guess you're right. Also, like when we got that, like what I thought was a brief
1: glimpse of Jake. He didn't like go through any kind of like physical like transformation, um, you know, which he typically does when he transitions into another personality. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I guess that's a clue. But I, I really just the way he kind of almost felt like a like a cornered animal. Like, I, I was like, oh shit, is this Jake? Um, Because otherwise, we we didn't get any kind of clues this episode of there being a third personality. Because after last episode, I
0: really thought we were going to get the reveal here. Before we move on, here's a quick message from our sponsor, Manscaped.
1: Ladies and gentlemen, can I get a round of applause? Today, I'm excited to announce Manscaped's launch their ultra-premium collection. And believe it or not, it's for your not-so-private parts. I'm talking about a leveled-up hygiene routine with your favorite manly scent. This is an all-in-one skin and hair care kit for your everyday man, and it covers you from head to toe, literally. Manscaped is trusted below the waist. Now trust them with the rest. Join the 4 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped by going to manscaped.com for 20% off plus free shipping with our code 20amazing.
0: Fellas, there's more places on your body that stink than your balls. And of course, no one wants to be that smelly guy during convention season. We all know how essential the Manscaped Lawnmower 4.0 is for the precise trim below the waist. Their advanced skin-safe technology reduces cuts to your most delicate areas. But now you can enhance your perfect grooming routine with their ultra-premium collection. This package includes Manscaped's premium deodorants. And no, that's not for your balls, it's for your stanky arms pits this deodorant dries clear is aluminum free and smells like their signature scent it also comes with hydrating body moisturizer have tattoos or issues with dry skin it's
1: designed to keep skin feeling clean smooth and smelling fresh also it comes with body wash to lather you up with their infused aloe vera and sea salt shower gel and they also throw in a two-in-one shampoo and conditioner to clean your scalp with an easy one step. Plus, they included a free gift, a three-pack set of lip balm that's made up of ingredients such as vitamin E, peppermint, and eucalyptus oil to keep those chappers feeling moist.
0: Right there, that's four products plus a gift inside the Ultra Premium Collection. What a score! All of these products are cruelty-free, paraben-free, vegan-friendly, and dye-free. The best ingredients with zero compromise. You know, we would like to recommend using the products in this order. Well, Christian, the first step will be hopping in the shower and scrub-a-dub-dub that
1: body with the Manscaped Body Wash.
0: Second, you gotta lather that hair up with a two-in-one shampoo conditioner to keep your noggin' toggin'. Then
1: you've gotta dry off and spray that hydrating body moisturizer to reinvigorate dry skin.
0: Of course, you put on the Manscaped deodorant for obvious reasons. Pop that Manscaped lip balm on. No one is out here kissing chapped up lips. And you know, getting dressed after is of course optional, but you should wear one great scent all day long. So what are you waiting for? Get that ultra premium collection hot off the shelves. Get 20% off plus free shipping with the code 20amazing at manscaped.com. That's 20% off plus free shipping with the code 20amazing at manscaped.com. That's right, because the power of attraction is now in a bottle
1: thanks to Manscaped.
0: We next enter young Mark's room while his mother bangs on the door. We see young Mark in his desperate need to escape the horrors of his mother's beatings, created Steven for the first time, based on the Stephen Grant from their favorite film. Adult Steven then sees the actual moment when he finally comes to, all the while his mother Wendy barges in to beat her child. Mark not wanting Steven to see this pulls him right out of the room so he doesn't have to witness the moment. God, this was just
1: awful to watch, I mean. (laughs) It. I mean, it, it was a fantastic scene, don't get me wrong, but it was just, you mm-hmm. know, to have to sit there and witness that. I mean, it really does, though, give you the, all the pieces of the puzzle that you need to understand why Mark is the way he is.
0: And at the same time, you know, to harp more on, you know, Jake Lockley, I feel like if Mark was able to create this personality because he was trying to, you know, be brave and... Be fearless in the face of, you know, his mother and stuff like that with Steve. I feel like if he needed someone to deal with the more extreme kills that probably Konshu has asked for, maybe he would slip into a personality like Jake Lockley. Well, at least this version, whatever they're creating, because it feels like it's going to be a more violent take in this. No, or even the anger
1: that he's dealing with, you know, like, I mean, after he eventually leaves the house... Like, maybe he's having a hard time dealing with that anger. And then, you know, he leans into the Jake Lockley like personality. Um, and that's, you know, what leads him to become a, like a mercenary. Uh, we'll just have to wait and see, though, what direction they take the character
0: in. Steven now knowing he was not actually the original person struggles with the truth of it all and takes his frustration out on Mark but this only prompts Mark to hit him with more truths about their mother being terrible to them as they grew up and her passing altogether which Steven seems to be completely unaware of. This actually traumatizes Steven who had been calling his mother every day as we've seen from the start of the show and you know initiates a panic attack of his own as he wakes up in place of Mark within Harrow's office and then to top things
1: off he comes to the realization that he doesn't even truly exist that he's just a coping mechanism really
0: do you, do you ever feel that way damon do you feel like you're just someone's imaginary coping mechanism
1: i mean i guess i could see a reality where i'm just your imaginary friend because you're such a lonely bastard i mean
0: yeah it's possible <laughs> i could just be in a warehouse
1: talking to myself this entire time that is likely <laughs> <laughs> but it really goes to show you what a glutton you are for punishment that you would have imaginary friend who absolutely hates you so
0: yeah, it, it makes sense, David. It really does. I'm just joking. <laughs> Dr. Harrow in A Strange Turn of Events is able to help Steven come to terms with the fact that his mother is actually gone by performing a fake phone call to her in a similar fashion that Steven would himself. We then see a memory of Mark standing outside his mother's Shiva, not able to bring himself to go in. Breaking down as he walks away, Mark again turns to Steven, similar to how he did as a child, freeing himself of this grief. Current Mark would also tell us this was the moment in which Steven took over for good, as we saw before this season started. Just another tearjerker of a scene. Like, I was not prepared, once again, for the
1: emotional weight of this episode at all. But I was expected to get a lot more Moon Knight stabbing people with his moonarangs. Uh (laughs) instead
0: we get like a whole episode of like grief porn uh but you know hey i'm i'm here for it at the same time you got to give steven props for you know being able to you know set up the apartment get a job within two months at you know the museum he would love to work at you know props to him man so do you think he actually sought out the one fin goldfish because we do
1: see that it's his brother who's drawing the one fin goldfish in like you know his
0: introduction So did
1: Steven literally literally, like seek that goldfish out or it just happened to be at the pet store?
0: (laughs) I think he got lucky. There's no way, you know, he unless he spent like days (laughs) upon days looking for a, a one fin goldfish, you know? But I mean,
1: anyway, once again, I applaud Marvel for not playing safe with these shows. Because, I mean, they could have given us your typical superhero fare and, you know, just have Moon Knight jumping rooftop to rooftop and, you know, beating the shit out of motherfuckers, which would have, I would have been fine with. But the fact that they're willing to really try something different and, you know, give us a character with this much depth, I mean, my hats are
0: off to them because it's definitely a pretty ballsy choice. Steven comforts Mark by telling him the passing of his brother, Randall, wasn't ever actually his fault. But the relief of this moment doesn't last that long as they return to the ship, finding out that they hadn't balanced the scales in time. This causes a bunch of sand like demons in the form of people that Mark had killed in his past to come in and start attacking them. Mark tries to protect Steven in this by fighting them all by himself, but he ultimately struggles and is nearly taken overboard. This kicks something off inside Steven as he gathers himself up with mark's fighting spirit to take on these you know sand like demons In the end, Steven's efforts weren't enough though as when another sand demon appears to drag Mark overboard, Steven saves Mark by flipping completely overboard himself, taking the sand demon with him. And as Steven tries to get back to the boat, his body would ultimately become sand and his soul would be destroyed forever, as stated by Towerette. Because of these actions, Mark's heart then balances with the scale and allows him to go to the field of reeds before our season finale next week. Once
1: again, I know I'm harping on this, but (laughs) This is just an amazing performance by Oscar Isaac. I mean, I mourned this character, Steven, like he was a real person. You know, even though, you know, Mark is still around, like when we lost Steven, it felt like a real loss. Now, I'm sure Steven's going to somehow manifest himself again um, in Mark. But, I mean, this still was heartbreaking to watch.
0: It's also crazy that it was uh, foreshadowed early on, too, when the girl was talking to him about, you know, are you upset make it to, like, the Grand Reads or whatever. No, that is true. I forgot about that.
1: I am wondering, though, like, when we do see Steven again, if we don't get a more confident version of that personality. And that's how we kind of get the version of Mr. Knight that we
0: have in the comic books. I think it's very possible because he was based off of a character whose whole tagline is being more fearless. Yeah, I mean, he's
1: basically Indiana Jones, right? And and, and, I mean, an absolute like B-movie ripoff version of Indiana Jones, but he's still Indiana Jones. So now that he has all the pieces to his own puzzle, maybe he's able to find that in himself. So, I mean, we've been praising this series for the last five episodes about its pacing. And how, like, Mm -hmm. the story never feels rushed. But now we're coming up on the, like, series finale or the season finale. We're not quite sure. You know, I know this is listed as, like, a limited series. But, I mean, I could definitely see if this is successful enough getting a second season. But regardless, there's so many, like, unanswered questions.
0: I mean, is it even possible to get, like, a satisfying conclusion to this story? I mean, you'll at least get that finish where he's fighting Arthur, right? I I feel like you'll get some satisfaction from that, but you'll definitely still want more because there's so much still left on the table. And I guess at this point, I mean,
1: they've earned my trust, Um, even though I've been burned by these MCU shows in the past. (laughs) (laughs) I gotta believe there's a good reason for the six episode count. And don't get me wrong, there's nothing wrong with leaving the audience wanting more. Especially if there is, you know, plans for Moon Knight in the future. I- I'm fine with that. I just hope that the story that they do tell in the last episode doesn't feel rushed. And who knows, maybe they end on a cliffhanger. You know, which I would actually be okay with. Because that means that we're going to actually get more Moon Knight in the future.
0: I mean, I still think there's a chance that you get another little moment with, like, Blade showing up and being like, join my team. You know, at the very end of the credits and stuff like that. That would be amazing. But (laughs) I'm not
1: going to let you get my hopes up, Christian. (laughs) Uh Like we get introduced to the Midnight Suns. Is that what you're telling me
0: here? (laughs) kind of the start oh, right i think man. that's the goal in the end
1: <laughs> i don't know it sounds like Mephisto watch all over again christian i could see it happening but probably somewhere down the line
0: I, mean, I will say like each episode has been better than the last so i i am still looking forward to the finale i do believe that there is a chance that you know the pacing will you know makes sense. You know, they've put so much into each episode that it's it's been fine so far, so I I I have hope like you do that this finale will still give me enough satisfaction to be happy with the show in its in itself. Yeah, I mean, they've earned the benefit of the doubt at this
1: point. So, yeah, exactly. I feel like this this whole series has been probably one
0: of the best paced mcu shows today so Mm -hmm. you'll be able to catch the season finale breakdown plus our review of the entire series on next week's episode but all right up next we have a review for the northman warning spoiler alert minor spoilers for the northman ahead you have been warned
1: and now our feature
0: presentation Fiona! I will avenge you, father! I will save you, mother! I will kill you, Fiona! I will avenge you, father. I will save you, mother. I will kill you, Fiona. From visionary
1: director Robert Eggers comes The Northman, an action-filled epic that follows a young Viking prince on his quest to avenge his father's murder. The Northman's directed by Robert
0: Eggers, the film stars Alexander Skarsgård, Nicole Kidman, and Anya Taylor-Joy. Blood, guts, Norse mythology, and revenge. What more could you ask from a film? Robert Eggers returns to give us this gritty Viking story as Omelith, played by Alexander Skarsgård, has his entire life ripped from him. All the day, his father is killed right before his eyes. Pledging revenge, Omelith, the moment he sees an opportunity, goes on the hunt for his father's killer, torturing this man along the way. This film is straightforward. It does no heavy lifting for you. It's a simple premise that relies on its cinematography and acting to keep you enthralled. No overuse of exposition here. Just Vikings doing Viking shit. And that's what I really enjoy about this film the most. Um, The lore and mythology itself is baked in and the perfect driving force for Skarsgård's enraged omelette. Um, Klaes Bang, I think that's how you say that name... um, who plays Fjolnir, and Nicole Kidman's Good Run um, are great performances as well, stealing each scene that they are in. And while the overall story doesn't do anything new for the revenge flick genre, it's the dedication to lore and mythology that gives it that Robert Eggers shine. On top of that, the pacing made the two-hour film fly by, as there is never a dull moment from the introduction to its climax. You may know how this story ends, but it's the journey that keeps you invested as this Viking screams and slaughters his enemies in horrific fashion. I mean, God, it felt like I was watching a two-hour-long music video for a local black metal band, if done by a high-quality director, of course. But anyway, for my grade, I'm going to be giving The Northman in a minus. I think the only drawback in this film is just its simplicity itself. There's nothing I feel like you won't see coming in this film, but it doesn't mean that you won't enjoy every single moment. I don't know if this role will be a breakout for Skarsgård, but I definitely think he should be looked at as a great acting opportunity for a lot of future films as we've seen from true blood and now this he can go from suave vampire to insane madman of a viking in quick fashion it is surprising that he hasn't gotten too many roles also anya taylor joy of course does a fantastic job in this film as well as her character brings in a lot of different lore into the norse mythology element as well you know there i think that's uh, scandinavian mythology that she's you know behind as well it's a great mixing of the two that really elevates this storyline as they kind of deal with some of these gods as well but overall it is just as i would describe two hours of a viking screaming and killing i think anyone that enjoys a revenge flick or anything that's kind of you know norse mythology is or dark fantasy like would definitely get behind this film i won't say it's for everyone but if you enjoy anything from those types of genres i definitely think you will want to pick this one up at your earliest convenience whether it be in the theater or at home and now it's time for christian's corner So this week we're going to talk a little bit about Twitch as it is the leading platform in online gameplay streaming. Bloomberg recently reported in that you know Amazon has plans to make significant changes to its partnership program in an effort to bring in more profits. Of course, among these changes are decreases to streamer revenue, bringing the seventy percent from subscriptions down to fifty percent, which is already kind of offered to affiliates at this time. Another idea being floated around is a tier system that would add additional criteria in order for a Twitch partner to receive seventy percent revenue. With that system streamers would also no longer be exclusive to Twitch, opening up chances to work with other major sites like YouTube while still being partnered to Twitch. And to be honest here, both these ideas seem a bit cocky. As, you know, I wouldn't be surprised if YouTube bolstered their own revenue shares for streamers as a direct response to this, pulling in, you know, some of those big streamers away from Twitch like never before because Twitch has been the dominating force in the streaming sphere. On top of that, it leaves an opportunity for a new streaming service to come in and entice your biggest streamers as well it's no surprise when this report came out that many streamers have you know gone to the internet to show that they are displeased with this news you know bringing revenue down to 50 percent would make the road to twitch partner practically meaningless for a lot of smaller streamers who already have affiliate status? Again, from my perspective as a content creator on Twitch as well, the algorithm is already a challenge enough for a lot of us smaller streamers. Uh, taking away a large payout incentive seems a bit foolish altogether as it would be naive to think another site wouldn't immediately go in for the kill poaching your biggest stars. And by creating better incentives, you probably bring in a lot more of the smaller stream crowd as well. Plenty of websites Including Facebook, have infrastructure to handle an influx in streaming, and the already disgruntled user base probably would relish in the idea of finding a new home for streaming. You know, I'm just starting to get a real WWE and AEW vibe from this whole situation. But well, we will see if these plans go to the wayside after the negative online reaction or not. For now, you can just catch the Amazing Nerd Show on Twitch every Thursday through Sunday. Uh, next weekend, we're looking to start a new playthrough in a classic game along with the continuation of our WWE 2K Universe mode PCW, which we are putting some polls online for you guys to um, you know, help shape the future of the show. Plus, we've also been suffering through Elden Ring, so you definitely want to check out our playthrough of that. And there may be some more guest streams in the works currently, so definitely make sure you leave us a follow. We, as I said a moment ago, we are live every Thursday through Sunday, and we enjoy playing games with all of you. But all right, enough about that. Let's move on to wrestling. Ago, before I walked through the curtain for
1: the first time in seven years, I asked myself a question, and that question was, can I still do this? Yeah! And now I can probably stand here in front of my fans in Philadelphia and I can say, hell yeah, I can still do this. All right, Christian, let's talk some highlights from AEW's Dynamite this week. Uh, we started off the show hot with an Owen Hart tournament qualifying match between Dex and Cash of FTR. Um, this match, I thought, was everything you would expect from a match between these two. Hard hitting, well worked. Uh, there was tons of tributes between, you know, the classic matches between Bart Hart and Owen. Uh, you know, overall, I enjoyed it. Uh, and it wasn't as seamless as you might have expected, you know, from these two. But, you know, for me overall, that kind of adds to the realism of the match. It makes it feel more like a fight. Like, I don't want my things too like, you know, choreographed.
0: Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know how you feel about that. You know, I don't mind when it's too choreographed, like if it's overly choreographed, just because when it's two people that are supposed to know each other for so long. You would expect them to be able to counter almost every move. But at the same time, I get what you're saying. You don't want it to feel like it's a ballet. You're there to watch a fight. No,
1: absolutely. Um, So with everything being said, like, I don't need to see these guys fight again. (laughs) okay i'm just never a big fan of like feuding tag team partners Mm -hmm. so i hope this is kind of the deal of like it being like one and done and you know they could just move on to being like the best tag team in the world but uh you know dax did go over here which i kind of expected i know the commentary felt like it was almost leading to you you know thinking that cash was gonna get the win um but i don't know like it feels like dax I don't know, he seems to be more of the singles wrestler out of the two, at least, you know, in AEW, I feel like he's been getting more singles matches, so maybe that's why I just expected him to go over. I know he's more of the bigger personality between the two guys, so, I don't know, were you surprised by the finish at all?
0: Yeah, I I was definitely thinking Cash, just because I feel like he hasn't had his time to shine as a singles wrestler at all, and I felt like that would be the more interesting storyline, especially in a tournament like this, but...
1: And he could pull it off. Don't get me wrong. Exactly. But it just feels like Dax is kind of like the go guy, the go-to guy for like single mm. matchups. But I don't know. And maybe that might be a personal preference of you know Cash's.
0: I'm just afraid as tag team wrestlers, maybe because he's going to be in the first round, he'll be eliminated first round. You know, because he doesn't have that much of a any other kind of story behind it. And I don't have the brackets in front of me. I mean, this
1: is a fucking stacked tournament so far. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, and like it's AEW, so people are going to be taking losses, but there's no weak links in this tournament. So I, it should be interesting. I, I'm, I'm hoping for something like G1 quality. And So far, I've been really enjoying these qualifying matches. It, it really has been setting up the tournament to feel like a big deal. But after the match, CM Punk got on the microphone and we had the official announcement of the title match between Punk and Hangman for Double or Nothing. Uh, Unfortunately here, Hangman wasn't there for the announcement. I guess he he has COVID. So, you know, best wishes. You know, hopefully he'll be back soon. Uh, This is going to be a hell of a match and I'm looking forward to it.
0: I did like the way that Punk walked backwards, you know, looking at the actual sign, like in awe of, you know, his world title match. Uh, and then was that Kip Saban in the crowd there? It was.
1: Yeah. Speaking of that, I, I did like how he did the whole promo, just like walking around the ring. And uh-uh. everything. I feel like, you know, those little things AEW needs to do more of that's more of your, you know, less typical, like wrestling promo. Like, you know, it's just a, a nice little way for them to stand out, you know, compared to like WWE. You know, do things different like that. Those little nuances matter. I feel like you know to the wrestling fans. So, um, yeah, but uh, yeah, that was Kip Saban, which I apparently he's still working that
0: gimmick. I have no idea where the hell that's going though. Honestly, I thought he was on the chopping block or something like that recently. I thought he was going to be leaving the company. <laughs> I mean, we we haven't seen Penelope in a while, right? No.
1: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I was I was kind of feeling the same way where they would just kind of let his contract, you know, play mm-hmm. out. Um,
0: But I don't know. Because when was the last time we saw him? Was that was the angle with Miro? Um, I think so, because after that, he was supposed to be like outside of arenas, like, upset about it, you know, and then doing the whole box gimmick. Yeah, yeah. I, I don't know what the fuck they're doing, man.
1: Honestly. <laughs> it just felt like one of those contracts that they're going to kind of let expire, um, mm. you know, and just say goodbye that way. So, I mean, I applaud AEW for, you know... N- Honoring people's contracts and everything, but <laughs> I hope that, like, that's not the case and he's been sitting, like, with a box on his head for the cu- for the last couple months for no reason whatsoever, because <laughs> uh-huh. that would be really shitty, you know, right? <laughs> at least have the guy, like, you know, do the job on his way out and give him some ring time while you can and camera time, you know, so at least maybe, like, you know, drum up some interest from other companies, um, you know, don't just have him sitting in the front row with a box on his head. You know, so I'm guessing, though, Tony Khan wouldn't do that. Like, they must have another deal worked out or an extension or something where, you know, eventually, eventually we'll get the reveal that it's Kip saving underneath the box.
0: You would hope. You never know. <laughs> <laughs>
1: they do love their long term storytelling,
0: which which I'm fine with. Clearly, with some of these angles, we get into a little bit later. Yes.
1: But- no, that's true. Uh, Up next, we have the Blackpool Combat Club just smashing the Nightmare Factory. I love this and everything, but I do feel like we need to progress their story now. Like, what's the next chapter for the Combat Club? Uh, You know, we've seen this for, like, the past, like, three or four weeks, I feel like. Um, They desperately need a Trios title. Um, You know, like... It feels like they've been dropping hints lately. Um, The other day they mentioned uh, some teams' trios record together. Uh, So there's been just little small, little, like, I don't know, breadcrumbs that I've been seeing. And maybe it's just wishful thinking on my part. But, you know, I, I think they also mentioned it was the first time that this team, like, teamed up for a trios match. So it's just like, it seems like they're spotlighting the whole idea of trios more on the show. Um, so hopefully, you know, a trio's titles on the horizon, because I, I definitely feel like you know that's something that's at least needed storyline wise, with so many stables going yes. on in Aew. um you know, and if they don't get a trio's title belt soon, I mean, hopefully you know, the Blackpool you know Combat Club will be up for a tag team title shot soon, uh, but it seems like FTR is the next in line. Right, because they they did make mention that FTR is the number one contenders.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, the, on their site
1: they're uh, up there in yeah. the top. Is Blackpool even um
0: like in the top five? I don't believe I saw them in the top five at least right now.
1: I'm sure the trail of carnage that they're leaving will you know get them on the charts sooner than later. Hmm. Speaking of tag teams. Uh, We got our first big hint that Christian will be probably turning on Jurassic Express soon uh, with him calling Jungle Boy a loser. Uh, He also issued an open challenge for any top five team, and we had Team Taz actually accept the challenge. So I'm guessing this is probably going to be like a TV title match.
0: I was actually surprised that uh, Powerhouse Hobbs and Rick were, you know, number three. But I'm, I'm fine with seeing them come up for the uh, titles. I think it'll be a good match. I don't think they're going to win, though.
1: <laughs> no, no, I agree 100%. I'm sure it's just going to be another chapter in the story mm-hmm. of like Jurassic Express uh, for right now. Um, maybe we'll have some kind of interference with like Keith Lee and Swerve because I know they're still feuding with them. Uh, yeah. I love Starks and Hobbs together, though. I get a real strong like Michaels and Diesel vibe from them so hopefully they stay together for a while and i could see them eventually winning the titles
0: i'm just wondering if they're ever going to take the uh fcw title off of uh ricky starks or if he's ever going to leave that group so my guess would be that it'd be like powerhouse to leave
1: the group um but i'm guessing that it's probably way too similar to what they're doing with mjf and wardlow uh where ricky is you know kind of taking powerhouse for granted And then Powerhouse eventually gets like fed up with it and turns on Stark. Mm. Um, But who knows? I mean, maybe they could flip it. But speaking of Wardlow, apparently he put on his cruiserweight boots uh, tonight. Uh, He had a nice little showcase match with uh, Lance Archer. Uh, I thought this was a good reminder of what Wardlow is actually capable of. We haven't seen like, you know, his full arsenal in the ring for I feel like over a year at this point. Uh and he I mean he's never been a guy who's wrestled that much on the show. So I mean I'm 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 guessing that's why. Uh and you know, the last couple of months they've really just been working the power bomb, you know, angle. So mm-hmm. uh I do think it's smart that they have MJF like hanging out in the box above uh so you get his reactions throughout the match. Uh it looks like Wardlow's next challenger is gonna be Big Cass, or, you know, I believe is going by W. Morrissey on Impact. Uh that looks to be next week. Um, it, it seems like AEW is working with Impact again because we also have the announcement of Deanna Purrazzo, uh doing a title versus title match for the ROH Women's Belt uh, against uh, Mercedes. So uh, I believe that's also next week. Yeah, it'll be next week on another jam-packed Dynamite. I'd love to see uh, Diana part of the Owen Hart Women's Tournament.
0: Sure, she'd be another great addition, you know, along with Tony Storm and all of them.
1: I will say I'm not a huge fan of the Ring of Honor belts being defended on AEW TV, and I know they don't have their own show, you know, right now, but I feel like it's going to water down, like, the AEW titles, like, having so many different belts be in contention, like, constantly. Uh, So hopefully ROH gets, like, its own, like, TV soon, so that's not a huge issue.
0: Like, I would hope that they were doing this in a way to build up for the Ring of Honor show. Like, you know, show the importance of these titles, but they don't really explain, you know, their histories or anything on the show. So yes. I
1: mean, once again, they're in dire need of a good, like, promo package. Mm-hmm. Really just going through the history of Ring of Honor and why, you know, that company's important and why it's a big deal that, you know, Tony now owns it. So, and maybe they're just treading water right now until they know a deal's in sight. And maybe it's just a way to keep the ROH belts on people's minds. Um, and you know, make them feel relevant, but you don't want to hurt your own titles in doing so. So moving on, uh, it was Sheeta versus Serena Deeb in a Philly street fight. I like this feud more on paper than the execution. Uh, I'm kind of glad that it's over now. I don't feel like they were ever allowed to get momentum, though, uh, especially since we had so many like starts and stops to the program. And I feel like at one point it was due to an injury, so it is what it is, but I don't mm. know. Uh, the street fight, though, was just a little underwhelming, honestly. Yeah. Um at, at this point, like, if you're going to have a gimmick match like this in AEW, you really need to bring it, especially in front of, like, a Philly crowd. This just felt way too much like a typical, like, WWE hardcore match, uh, especially in the beginning. And with what we've gotten recently from Bird and Thunder and also that tag team match with Bunny and Penelope versus uh, Ty and Anna, like, the bar has been raised so much that, like, I don't know, man. You got to really bring your A game if you're going to do a gimmick match like this. So, um I was happy, though, after the match. They did tease Serena versus Thunder Rosa. I feel like Serena is a great, you know, uh, contender for that title. And
0: it should lead to an awesome feud. No, they should have a fantastic match against one another. I think that's a perfect foil for Thunder. But I I agree. This feud right now, everything between her and Sheeta, you know, it felt like it, there should have been more intensity into a match like this, so I understand why Philly might have been a little disappointed while they were watching as well, you know it just didn't seem to reach anywhere near the level, as you said of those matches uh, before Yeah, no, it, like you said, I mean, they just didn't have the same intensity that no. other
1: like street fights have had in AEW Even though so.
0: this has been going on longer than a lot of those feuds, so
1: Yeah, and it did feel like they weren't necessarily comfortable, like, you mm-hmm. know you know, swinging those chairs and kendo sticks. Like it it felt like they were kind of pulling some of those shots and you can't do that. You got to go all out in these matches now. Like that's kind of what a W signature is. Uh, So, and that's what makes them different from WWE. So yeah, no, it was a little disappointing And, and, you know, and I get it. If it's not their bag, it's not their bag. If they're not comfortable wrestling in that style of match, that's fine, but don't, put them in that style of match then so after this we had a segment with the return of ray phoenix as death triangle ambushed the house of black um i don't know it was a little hokey overall i don't know how you felt about it uh this is just another program uh that feels like it's been going on forever
0: yeah i, I figured out that it was ray in the ring pretty quickly even before uh you know whatever his name is, came out to, like, you know, do the whole reveal. I mean,
1: boy, what gave it away? The fact that he was, like, talking with a shovel in front of his face the entire time.
0: I love Death Triangle. I love Ray Phoenix and Penta and Pac all working together. But I'm, I, I have no interest in this feud. You know, I have no interest in, them, like, continuing to fight with... Uh, you know, Malachi Black and them. I, I want to see Malachi Black and them go up against someone like, you know, the Blackpool, like, Combat Club. I want to see that kind of fight going on. I feel like his character needs something a little bit more serious for him right now. No, I agree 100%. Or, like, him go after one of the titles.
1: Yeah. You know, like, let him get a shot at the TNT title. Uh, we, we just need to change things up a little here. Because it feels like overall lately AEW tv has been getting a little stale and i think part of that is because we have a couple programs like this that just feels like directionless um where i don't see where the storyline's going and i'm not sure if they know uh and like the storyline was kind of weak to start off with Mm -hmm. so it's just like oh we're doing this again like i thought this was over and now, like, you know, three weeks later, it's starting all over again. Like, we're, st- it feels like we're starting at square one. And I'm not sure why that is, right? I thought they had the blow off match already. It- it's like, you know, they take like a three week sabbatical from like the program and they return to it. And it's just, I don't know, it's just not as hot as it was initially.
0: No, exactly. Like, and I'm I'm not trying to sound hypocritical. Cause I do love a lot of AEW's ability to tell these year-long storylines, but not every single one needs to be, you know, some a 12-part saga. Well, you know? and you have such a talented like roster that there's enough people to play around with here to, for all these different feuds to happen throughout the year.
1: No, I agree, but it, it also like some stories warrant you know it being a year uh-huh. long. Like Kenny and Hangman, like they did the work. They told the compelling story where there are like peaks and valleys where like this has just been kind of a one note type deal where like Uh you don't even know what the motivation of these two groups really are (laughs) besides just putting on great wrestling matches. But great ring work only carries you so far. You need an awesome story to fuel the program. And that's Mm -hmm. not what we're getting here between these two teams.
0: No, it feels like a who's scarier contest. and it
1: I, I, Like a really bad Halloween costume
0: contest? Yeah.
1: <laughs> <laughs> At least for Alex. I'm glad that he's out of the cloak, though. Uh-huh. He's no longer a Dracula, so that's good, right?
0: <laughs> I didn't realize that the whole reason he was doing that was to get into the head of sure Malachi it was. Black.
1: I'm sure, I, 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 <laughs> my guess is that's the reason they gave him to get out of that costume. Like, someone must have pulled them aside and said, dude, you look ridiculous. What are you doing? <laughs> I'd much rather have him be, like, you know, Death Triangle's Flavor Flav. Like, that 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 works for me. Whatever. <laughs> you know? It's, it's better. It's ten times better than, like, him trying to be this scary druid dude. Uh-huh. But anyway, next in the ring, we had the Undisputed Elite uh, going up against Dante Martin, Lee Johnson, Brock Anderson, and the Varsity Blondes. Uh, it's a little thrown together, right? Because <laughs> I was like, wait, that's not even a faction. Uh, no, but
0: but just the the young guns, I guess, and they I did make
1: a point to like get that across as like look at all the young talent that AEW has. I thought that was great by the commentating team to this mm-hmm. week. So, um, you know, try to at least put these guys over in what was pretty much a glorified squash match. Uh, you know, it, it, this match in general just felt like it was more focused on telling the story of like the undisputed elite getting back on the same page together. Uh, which is fine. It's a change of pace compared to the usual crazy circus matches we usually get from the Bucks. I'm just a little clueless where this whole program is like heading right now. I mean, with both tag teams out of the title picture, Omega's return nowhere in sight, and you know, Cole out of the number one contender spot, like it just it feels like they're aimless. Um <laughs> I mean, this could be the kickstart to, you know, this whole new faction really clicking together and then going on this huge stretch of just domination. And, you know, it, they could start a program with another, you know, group, um, you know, before the Bucks and Red Dragon end up, you know, eventually blowing up and feuding. Uh, but I don't know. It it just feels like this has
0: been going on forever, too. Yeah, I I, I don't know if they're just stretching it out because I do think, you know, my logical conclusion is Kenny shows up and it's like, what the fuck are you guys doing with yeah. Uh, Cole? Yeah, I feel like that's the end goal, but... We don't know when I, Kenny's showing up. <laughs> exactly.
1: <laughs> <laughs> also, right now, I mean, AEW has so much going on. I mean, you've got Double or Nothing coming up. You've got the, you know, the Forbidden Door pay-per-view. And then you've got the Owen Cup. So, I mean, what are they booking towards? I mean, I guess only time will tell. And we know, like... When they made that announcement with the Forbidden Door pay-per-view, we had uh, Jay White come out, and it seems like there's going to be something going on with the Bullet Club and, you know, the super elite or whatever the hell they're calling them, the undisputed elite So, I mean, how does that play into the storyline? And we're definitely beating a dead horse here, but speaking of treading water, (laughs) we had a segment next between the Jericho Appreciation Society at Kingston Mm. and the Proud and Powerful. Uh, This did nothing for me whatsoever. Only real highlight was the exchange between Jericho and Kingston towards the end. I did like later on in the show the fireball thrown by the JAS uh, in Kingston's face uh, just because it's old school shit, so I'm always going to pop for that. If I was going to guess, though, I think eventually we'll probably have another duo, you know, join Kingston and crew. And then maybe we get like a blood and guts match or like a stadium stampede or something like that.
0: Well, that's what I thought this whole segment was supposed to be about. Like, oh, these guys can't go to blows, but here's our two partners that can come in and attack you guys from behind. That's where I thought was coming that entire segment. No, no, it's just kind of an awkward, you know, back and forth between the two of them. Like, why was there even a table in the ring? I, like. I was like, is this a contract signing? Did I miss something? And then I thought,
1: I like, know. are they going like super fucking like meta right now and this is supposed to be some kind of like commentary on wwe's booking <laughs> since you know jericho has the whole like gimmick of being sports entertainment where we're just getting literally the same segment over and over again because that really feels like what this is right now i feel like we're just like i don't know experiencing deja vu with this program where uh-huh. it's just like you know we have a match then we have a segment like this then we have another match, and then we have another segment like this. Like, it's just never-ending. It's been going on since the last pay-per-view with Kingston and Jericho, right? So, yeah, I mean, ever since
0: he didn't do the handshake, so. Yeah,
1: I, it's like, okay, let's, let's, let's get another chapter to the story now, because hmm. I feel like I'm just rereading the same chapter over and over again. Uh, so hopefully, you know, the gimmick match is coming sooner than later, because that's got to be where they're going.
0: I mean the AEW Galaxy can only hold their breath for so long. <laughs> I did pop for that line though. <laughs> uh. <laughs> and then for the main
1: event, we had Scorpio Sky going up against Sammy Guevara for the TNT Championship, uh, which Scorpio just recently lost, I believe last week. Um mm-hmm. <laughs> this was okay. Um a tad bit too choreographed uh with some of the spots. Uh, Meaning that like nothing felt like it was happening in between those bigger moments. Uh, Way too much like slow ladder climbing happening for my liking. And I (laughs) hate that. That's just a big pet peeve. Of mine, like in ladder uh-huh, matches okay. like this. And this just might be a case of AEW going to the well too often with ladder matches over the last couple of months. Because I feel like we've seen like five or 10 ladder matches.
0: Also, yeah. say the same
1: thing about like TNT title changes. Like, I don't mind the belt changing hands more frequently than the heavyweight title, but I don't want to see it happening like twice a month on average. Like, that just starts to make the belt feel less meaningful. I mean, with that being said, there was definitely some amazing moments, don't get me wrong, and I'm glad Sammy's now a full heel, but this feud has just really done nothing for me.
0: I'm, what really threw me out of the match was seeing Van Zant's punches in the corner on Ty. I was—it was—, it was- killing me the entire time and watching her smile and laugh through it was
1: awful holy shit i'm glad you brought that up man those punches were brutal no and not in a good way (laughs) (laughs) um a lot of times with these mma fighters like they're almost scared to throw a punch because they know what kind of damage they can do uh-huh. Um, either they're scared to throw a punch or they throw too real of a punch. And she seems to be someone who's just scared to throw a punch right now. And that's not her fault. She's just in- incredibly green and she needs to train. You know, mm-hmm. I mean, she's being kind of just thrown into the fire here. But you're right. She she really does need to work on her facials because um, she's really like nervously smiling out there. And I don't think it's a case of her not taking things seriously because she is a professional. But a lot of times you'll see that happen with, you know, someone who's green where they, they almost don't know how to react and they feel out of place. So you get this weird, almost like smirk on their face. And I know it sounds like I'm defending her, but like I said, she's a brand new talent. So mm. I I don't want to shit completely on her because I feel like that's not fair. That's it's like she's brand new to the business. So it's really AEW's fault for throwing her out there maybe too soon. Uh, So hopefully, you know, after this program, wherever they're headed, I think they're going to have a mixed tag match at some yeah. point. Hopefully after that, they can go ahead and like put her on the back burner and, you know, and get at least like a year or so of training underneath her belt um, and some more seasoning, uh, you know, till she's really, you know, featured on the main roster. Because I do feel like she has potential um, and she has a huge following. So it's a really smart signing by AEW. But yeah, you don't want to put someone out there who's going to, like, discredit your product at the same time. So, I mean, if she's too green, she's too green.
0: Overall, at least I felt like Scorpio Sky looked like a star by the end of the match. Like, he, you know, he came off... Feeling like the crowd was behind him, and I could see the audience being behind you know him as champion. Because I do see a lot of people right now hating on the title, saying like the title has been destroyed by being passed hands too many times over the last month. But I'm like, I feel like he'll have at least somewhat of an okay run now after past this.
1: I haven't been a big fan of how they booked him with the title as champion. I think a big mistake they made was like getting rid of the open challenge aspect. Mm -hmm. I feel like not having him defend the belt more frequently, you know, during his short title run didn't really allow him to kind of get into a groove. Um, And then you had the whole wonkiness of this program with Sammy where you basically, it seems like have a double turn like happening here. Because I feel like Scorpio is going to probably turn face sooner than later um, you know, we did have Frankie, you know, come out and congratulate him after his title win here. Um, and you had a moment before this last week where Frankie allowed him to be the next challenger as long as he promised uh, that he, Frankie would be the first um, person to get a title shot. If Scorpio won the belt back. Mm -hmm. Um, So I could really see Ethan Page turning on Scorpio because that because I don't know if you caught the glance he gave Frankie, but you could definitely see the jealousy in his eyes. Oh, Absolutely. Um, So and I'm fine with that. I feel like Scorpio is probably better suited as a face at this point. Like I've enjoyed men of the year, but just it never felt like there was anything big in the plans for them. Um, So I wouldn't mind seeing Paige or Scorpio be like Scorpio's like next program because I think Paige and Scorpio could bring the best out of each other, Um, you know, in a like heel face like dynamic. Uh, And I do want to see Paige, along with Scorpio, also get featured more on the show because I think he's a tremendous heel and a tremendous talent. So I feel like they're kind of been missing the boat on both of those guys Um, and – Maybe it's just best for them to be, you know, single competitors right now.
0: Either way, I mean, this is a great way to set up two possible matches for Scorpio Skies, like the beginning of his title run, wherever they go with that. Hopefully the mixed tag match just comes and goes. I'm not looking forward to that at all. So Yeah, no, hopefully they just kind of forget about it. Mm-hmm.
1: <laughs> I would be fine with it, um, especially like you said, after those fucking punches we saw it was just brutal, brutal. I get nothing on her. It's just. You no, know, she's fucking green. Needs to train. Back all. in the day, a talent wasn't featured on TV until they had years and years of seasoning, mm-hmm. you know, working different territories and everything. Like it was absolutely unheard of for someone to be featured on your program, you know, with only a couple matches underneath their belts. So, you know, it's really not fair to her to completely like trash her performance because. When you feature talent too soon, you run into the danger of, you know, that first impression sticking with them forever. Um, So it's just dangerous. I understand, like, she probably came at a a good price contract-wise because she is a big name in MMA. So, I mean, she's a huge influencer and everything like that. But just because that's the case doesn't mean she has any business in the ring right now. Because you don't want it to call the integrity of your product – Into
0: question. And nowadays, all this stuff is constantly under this like heavy microscope anyway. So people are looking for a reason to bring something like that up. Yeah,
1: absolutely. Absolutely. I mean, that's a big struggle that Jade has had in her first year. Mm -hmm. You know, I mean, she only has 30 matches underneath her belt. You know, that's not just her winning streak. That's how many matches she's had. (laughs) And that's nothing. Usually the general rule in wrestling is that it takes you about four or five years to come even close to honing your craft. So, I mean, the fact that she's carrying a belt for the company right now is pretty damn impressive because she is getting over. I mean, no one can dispute that. I mean, one of the reasons why I hate the new NXT is because I feel like they're putting people on TV who don't belong yet on TV. And I'm worried that it's going to hurt their development overall because you're giving the fans an inside look at their growth. But like I said, a lot of times it's hard to shake that first impression. I mean, at no fault of the talent, I just wish NXT would go back to the Ohio Valley days where it was very much looked upon as a developmental territory and it was only featured on someone's cable access TV, you know, because I feel like that's where you grow as a wrestler, not on live national tv <laughs> and you could really say the same about you know some of the matches that they have on AEW dark or elevation but at least that's on their youtube channel right mm-hmm. but anyway even though i felt like we kind of shit all over the show this week I, <laughs> did, <laughs> I did find the show entertaining still i mean uh-huh. just a little pedestrian you know and i do feel like some of the storylines are getting a little stale but i'm sure that That's kind of a product of this kind of just being a bridge show. And that's going to happen when you have months in between like pay-per-views. Speaking of pay-per-views, I was a little disappointed that we didn't get like a video package about like New Japan, you know, just hyping up the whole Forbidden Door show. Um, It it felt almost like an afterthought after that huge announcement they made last week. Uh, Mm. I know like, you know, you've already got the hardcore fans. They're all going to get the pay-per-view and buy the tickets. But it doesn't hurt you still to kind of like cultivate a buzz, um, you know, and I just feel like that's something AEW has been struggling with. It's like hyping themselves up, you know, to, to their fans. Um, it, it's, it just feels like that's been a little lackadaisical lately. And if you want to continue to build a new audience, you can't take your foot off the gas pedal. Like, I think it's important that you do focus a little on those casual fans. And I know a lot of people have been harping on them about this. But I mean, I agree 100 percent because I do feel like right now when it comes to ratings and stuff like that, and I know they're going up against the NBA, but they're kind of at a stalemate and they've kind of plateaued. If you want to create new fans, you've got to explain to them why this event's important. You know, and you have to treat the event like it's important. (laughs) Like, remind them who New Japan is, just kind of like what we're saying with ROH. You know, explain the history of the company and your roster's history with the company. AEW has a lot of things going on right now. Like I said before, with the Owen Cup and Double or Nothing coming up. So you don't want something like the Forbidden Door to get lost in the shuffle.
0: And with the fact that, like... Half, if not all, of your top talent have a history in New Japan. Exactly. I feel like it would be the easiest thing in the world to make a video package on. Right. Lean into it. And I'm sure New Japan is going to be willing to share that footage
1: with you. Exactly. Because they want the event to be a big success. And, I mean, as a fan, like I want to see more events like this happen down the pipeline. I mean, the United Center is not a small arena, so you've got to do the legwork to sell this thing out. I know traditionally video packages tend to hurt the ratings, but they're a necessary evil to keep your audience informed and to help them care about the story you're trying to tell. And what's weird about it is they used to do some great like video packages. We would get those promo packages once in a while, but it just feels like lately that's all gone to the wayside for some reason. And I don't know, maybe they're just featuring them on YouTube and we're not seeing them on like the actual TV shows. But, I mean, if you want people to
0: see them, you got to put them on your shows. That said, that's going to do it for this week. We'll talk more AEW next Wednesday or Thursday or Saturday, whenever this comes out. (laughs) I think it's Saturday, Christian. Yeah, it's Saturdays.
1: (laughs) (laughs) Well, that does it for this week. That's right, and as a friendly reminder, if you're listening to us on your favorite podcast platform, remember to subscribe, rate, and give us a
0: five-star review. Exactly, it sure does help an independent podcast like ours continue to grow. And while you're at it, make sure to tell a friend. Plus, if you like any of the stories we talked about on this week's episode,
1: make sure to check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to catch the full articles, trailers, memes, and more.
0: That's right, you can follow us at Amazing Nerd Show on all social media platforms. And hey, if you're looking for extra content, make sure to catch our streams every weekend on Twitch, plus YouTube videos Monday through Friday. Want to support the show further? you can head over to tpublic.com and get yourself some amazing nerd show merch. We've got t-shirts,
1: hoodies, stickers, and more. And if you post what you bought and tag us on social media, we'll send you some additional nerd swag if you live in the United States.
0: Well, all right, Damon, what are we talking about next week? Well, join us next week as we break down the season finale of Moon Knight. Plus, we'll be talking the latest in wrestling. My name's Christian. And my name's Damon. And that was The Amazing Nerd Show.
1: Who do you think you
0: are Scooby, Gooby, Goob!